verse number five. We'll start in verse number five. And I'm, I'm going to say this. I, have, we, I feel like we've gone over uh, predestination and Calvinism to, at nauseum in, in that class. And so we'll hit a couple things in here. This will be repeat for some. But we're not going to do an in-depth thing on predestination and all that kind of stuff. We'll briefly explain it and we'll move on. But I'm not going to do a whole lesson on, you know, uh, predestination and, and Calvinism and all that kind of stuff. Um, if you want that, there's plenty of stuff on the, uh, on the online thing where we record those. There's, there's all kinds of stuff. We actually did a whole class on it um, a few years ago. And so if you have questions about that, by all means, look at that material. But uh, verse, uh, let's see, verse number five, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. So again, verse five, the, the tricky word here is predestinated. And it's important to understand that contextually predestination always follows foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is, it comes before, and uh, the predestination here, it says, unto us the adoption of children. Now, the other place and the definitive place that we go to for predestination is Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, we talk about uh, that he has predestinated us to be conformed to the image of his son. And so it's important to understand that when predestination is mentioned, he tells you what you're predestinated for. And nowhere does it say that you're predestinated from the foundation of the world to be saved, born again, uh, you know, without any uh, choice or free will on your behalf. That is always read into the passage. Uh, that's not in the passage. And we know that from Bible study 101 uh, that you don't, you don't read anything into the text. The text speaks for itself. And if you lack light, then you have to go to the verses before, the verses after, and compare Scripture with Scripture to get more light on what you don't understand about the verse. And you will get hung up real quick when it comes to the Bible if you try to read your doctrine into the Bible. That's where people get messed up. And it's not just in what we would consider like cultish beliefs, you know, like Calvinism or stuff like that. The Southern Baptists do it all the time. They do it. They, and they even have, the problem is, is they have the, they'll have the right doctrinal stance, but because they don't want to rightly divide their Bibles and they don't want to do, they'll read their doctrine into places of the Bible that it doesn't fit. And they make themselves liars when they have the right doctrine. Why? Because they're trying to read something into the verse without understanding where it fits. Right? Now they believe that you can be saved, that you're saved by grace through faith, and that you're eternally secure. That's the stance. Right? The problem is, is they believe that you're saved in the Old Testament the same way you are in the New Testament. Now... They have the right doctrine, but that's a, that's, a, that's a bad teaching. David wasn't saved like you and I. David prayed, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You'd never pray that, right? I feel like I'm being boring this morning. I'm not as lively uh, <laughs> during Sunday school. I'm sorry. But uh, you would never pray that. And so it's really, really important, especially if we're going to be students of the Bible, we're going to be, you know, folks that, that take the Bible seriously. Then if you take the Bible seriously, you're going to have to realize that it's line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. I was going over some stuff with the kids uh, last night, uh, just laying down, get studying for today. And they were getting ready for bed and they came in and they saw me studying. They were asking me some questions about what I was pulling out for the Sunday morning message. And, and uh, 
I took him to a couple of different places to talk about, you know, the passage that we were going to be talking about. And, he, and Isaac said, you know, well, it's weird that you have to go, you know, to a different, a totally different book of the Bible to understand what's going on in the book of Genesis. I said, but see, that's the way God made it up. That's the way God designed it to be. He says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. What you find out is that if you're going to understand your Bible, it's going to take effort. And uh, there was a saying uh, a long time ago, Dr. Ruckman always used to quote it, and he said that it's impossible to uh, deceive a Bible-reading people. You know the problem that we have now is we don't read our Bibles, right? And what we do is we rely on Christian cliches and what we've heard from people that we respect as the basis of what we believe. Folks, you're living in a day and age now, it's the, it's the show me time. There's inf- it's information overload. Right? Everybody can Google whatever they want. You know what the problem with Christians is? We don't know the book. And you're going up against people that can type it into a computer and come up with whatever information that they want. And here's the thing. You can't learn the Bible that way. There's no data dump. There's no, there's no online forum to where you can type your question in and then it spits out your doctrinal answer or your scriptural answer. There doesn't exist for this thing. You're going to have to read your Bible and realize that if I'm, if I'm reading, we'll be in Genesis 32 this morning. Uh, if I'm reading in Genesis chapter 32, there's additional light on that passage uh, in, in, uh, in Hosea chapter 12. You understand? And, that, and there's, and there's a, a substantial amount of light that you see in Hosea, and that's Genesis 32. Right? And it happens all over the place. There's stuff in Psalms, and what does it do? It gives light on Genesis 32, okay? And so uh, when we talk about uh, predestination, again, he's, he's saying that you're predestinated. I'm going to go into a couple things uh, here uh, to, to explain what I'm saying. But it's funny how the Bible is written. We talk about the Bible, uh, and we talk about the Trinity, and we know that um, that is, a, that is a, actually a controversial doctrine in and of itself. But um, the Bible is written in such a way where it, it, it constantly reaffirms the truth that is within it. Okay, so look with me, if you will. He says um, in the end of verse 5, actually the beginning of verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace wherein He hath made us. Okay, look at that phrase, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Okay, then look in verse 12 that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. And then look at verse number 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the person's possession, look at this, unto the praise of His glory. You see that? That phrase, to the praise of His glory, in reference to the Father in verse number 6, in reference to the Son in verse number 12, and in reference to the Holy Spirit in verse number 14. What is he praising him for? Predestinating us to the adoption of children. Right? That was a work that, was a work that took all three members of the Trinity, and he says, praise be to them who uh, allowed this thing to happen. And what you find out is that the doctrine of predestination is a, what we would consider uh, the fancy you know, theological word is a salient doctrine in your Bible when it comes to eternal security. The basis of eternal security is actually rooted in, in the doctrine of predestination. Without the doctrine of predestination, 
you really, uh, you're kind of skewed in the scriptures when it comes to your eternal security. The problem was, is you get one thing wrong and then you create an entire teaching that's heretical. Because that's the only thing that Calvin really got right. <laughs> right? Was the perseverance of the saints or the preservation of the saints. Right? And we can get behind that to a certain degree. Obviously not to the way he meant it. But uh, um, accepted in the beloved. Look here in, uh, again at the end of of verse number six. He says that to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Now that is a very important term because um, accepted in the beloved is describing you, this, it's giving you the answer to the, to the question is how is a person accepted by God? Right? That's a pretty important question. Is how does a person, how, how can I as an individual be accepted in the sight of God? Well, any place that has that much clarity, you know that other Bibles will attack that verse. And they do. <laughs> they do attack that verse. Uh, accepted in the beloved. Uh, the new Bibles like to remove or change that because the cross references are clear of who the beloved is. Right? Go to Matthew chapter number uh, 3, if you will. Matthew chapter 3, you all know these verses, but it's important to understand that these verses are all connected. And this just reinforces what I was telling you earlier, how in order for you to get an understanding of the passage, you've got to go to several different places. It shines light on what it is you're reading. And, the, and what the Bible does is it connects words. Okay? Every word of God is pure. And so those words are connected in chains. And what you find out is you can start to cross-reference things and things that you didn't think even applied to the verse that you're reading are connected by certain words. And so he says, don't mess with my words. Not one jot or tittle. Right? Because it's important. That's why we take the stance as Bible believers is we believe the King James Bible is the inherent perfect word of God and divinely inspired. That's why we believe what we believe. If you believe that the text is receptus or that the Greek manuscripts are better and the better rendering would be, will you make yourself, you make yourself the arbiter of what the words should be? Right? And then you lose the cross-references because you mess with the words. He says you're accepted in the beloved. Well, how do I shine light on that? Well, Matthew chapter 3, look in verse number 17. Right? He says, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son and who I'm well pleased. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ. Right? He's talking about Jesus Christ. Go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Look in verse number 18. Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, and whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He's talking directly about Jesus Christ. Now, if you mess with that, why would you mess with the verse accepted in the beloved? As clear as that verse is, why do you, uh, anybody have a hard time understanding uh, accepted in the beloved? Does anybody have a hard, does that, is that too archaic? Is that too difficult to read? Of course it's not. <laughs> right? You have to have a motive to change it. And there is a motive to change it. Accepted in the beloved. Uh, go with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. 
Forgive me if I seem a little scattered this morning. My brain's going 100 miles an hour. But 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, look in verse number 22. So you have, you have a definite cross-reference, but then also, Jim Lynch said one time, he says, the Bible makes good down-home country sense. Right? You can, you can use your little brain power to, to figure a lot of things out. Right? <laughs> you just, if you just learn how to think a little bit and be honest, then you can, you can get a good, good ways in the Bible. Okay? <laughs> look here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look in verse number 22. For in Adam all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So when did people start getting put in Adam? Well, after he fell, right? And then they started having children. So uh, Cain and Abel and all these guys, were, they're in Adam. What does he, how does he, why does he say that? Because it says it right there in verse 22. So let me ask you this. If you're predestinated before the foundation of the world, were you put in Christ before the foundation of the world, and then when you were born, you fell out of Christ and went in Adam, and then when you got hit on the, the head with a holy hammer and they said, oh, well, you're actually one of the elect, did you then fall back into Christ? Well, of course not. <laughs> you, were, you were not in Christ before the foundation of the world. You were in Adam, and in Adam all died, but in Christ all shall be made alive. Now, again, terms are important, words are important, and the Bible is the, is the dictionary of its own words. Okay? And so when you see a phrase repeated over and over again, it's important for you to run those references and understand what the phrase means and all the things behind it. So take your Bibles, go to Proverbs chapter 8 real quick. Proverbs chapter 8. Let me show you something real fast. Some of you have heard this before. But I want to kind of bring it to a, a close here and we'll move on. Proverbs chapter 8, look in verse number 22. Context, verse 1, excuse me, Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice. Okay, so this is wisdom personified. Okay? Wisdom personified, uh, and it's personified as a woman. As she standeth at the top of the high places uh, in the past, she crieth at the gates at the entry of the city, at the coming in at the doors. Okay, unto men I call my voices to the sons of man. So this is wisdom personified speaking to men. Okay, now uh, we have to figure out who wisdom is. Okay, look in verse 22. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way. This is wisdom describing herself. So you tell me what it sounds like, because again, we're going to use our we're going to use our, our our brains, and we're going to read the Bible, and we're going to think. Okay, he says, "The Lord possessed me in the beginning of His way before His works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountain, no fountains." Uh, abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth, while as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above and strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea his decree and the water should not pass his commandment, when he, look at this, here's that buzzword, when he appointed the foundations of the earth. Okay? 
Then was I by him as one brought up with him. And I want you to see something here because this is a lesson not just in the topic of predestination. This is a lesson in basic Bible study. Okay? Let me tell you why. What did we just, we just ran, right? Before the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the earth. We see that that's now tied to that. It's now tied to wisdom and it's tied to whoever wisdom personified is here in these last few verses we just read. And I'm going to give you some more light on that in just a second. But then look at what he says in verse uh, number 30. Then was I by him as one brought up with him. I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. I was daily his delight. Now go to Isaiah chapter 42. This is why I love the Bible. (laughs) Google cannot do what we're doing right now. You understand? Isaiah chapter 42. Look in verse 1. Behold my servant, okay, whom I uphold, mine elect. There's another one of them buzzwords, right? Mine elect, what does he say? In whom my soul delighteth. What did he just say back here in Proverbs chapter 8? I was daily his delight. That word delight attaches this. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Does that not match what we read uh, back in the, uh, in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 12, verse 18? Let me read it again for you. Let me get there. Matthew chapter 12, verse 18. Behold my servant, Isaiah 42, Uh, Whom I have chosen, my beloved, and whom my soul is well pleased. He's quoting this here. I will put my spirit upon him and shall show the judgment to the Gentiles. He's quoting Isaiah and Matthew in reference to Jesus Christ. He showed you who it was. But it also attaches him back to Proverbs chapter 8, right? And uh, Isaiah 42. And now go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, capital W. You guys all know what that is. That's, that's, that is the Word of God personified. Well, what were we just reading in Proverbs 8? Wisdom personified. Did you notice, did you notice that Jesus Christ in Proverbs chapter 8 was, was uh, typified as a woman? That doesn't ever happen in Scripture, Right? So I've wondered about that for a long time. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would, you, why would you type Jesus Christ as a woman? But in, he types Jesus Christ also as the Word. And the woman is, is wisdom. And you're not born again of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God. You're born again. Who has the power to give birth? Contra, uh, contradicting to modern opinion. Uh, women have that ability. <laughs> you see that? Yeah. In the Bible, a pretty awesome book. Amen. It's a pretty awesome book, isn't it? And you know what you find out? Is that he's, he's there and he says that he was the Word of God, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And what does he say? All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Amen. He's responsible for creation. Yeah. Jesus Christ was there before the foundation of the world. 
And he was daily God's delight. He was his servant. He was, as was said, was the elect of God. When was this? Before the foundations of the world. We're sniffing something out right now. Do you smell it? (laughs) We're sniffing it out. Okay. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Look in verse uh, number 9. Ephesians 3, 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid, hid in God, who created all things by who? By Jesus Christ. We'll give you one more here. Colossians chapter 1. And these are all direct cross-references for these verses. Now look at, how much, look at how many places we've turned to in your Bible. What you have to understand also, when we, come, when we, when we think about this, you're, you're reading not just a bunch of verses. That's amazing in and of itself that in order to get light on this one topic in Ephesians chapter 1, we have turned to all these different verses to shine light on what we're trying to understand, right? What's even more amazing is that they were all written by different individuals over thousands of years. And yet what we're reading right now fits together like a perfect puzzle to convey one simple truth. That's impossible, ladies and gentlemen. That's impossible to do. You can't, listen, you can't tell your kids to, you know, how to, you know... uh, Put their clothes away without them getting it all jumbled up. You're going to tell me you're going to have the you're going to you're going to understand the doctrine of predestination over thousands of periods with different authors that never spoke to one another, and it's all going to fit perfectly in one book, and you can turn to it and then show you the same truth. I'm sorry, that does not make sense. That doesn't happen naturally. <laughs> okay, Colossians chapter one, uh, look in verse number sixteen. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he uh, he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things that he might have the preeminence. That is Jesus Christ. That is Jesus Christ. So here's, here's the, the bow on it, right, from all these verses we've, we've seen. The context of being predestinated is always qualified with the words in Christ. Now that goes back to Romans chapter 8. If you read the context of Romans chapter 8, I think it's five or six different times the terms in Christ is mentioned in Romans chapter 8 uh, preceding the, the term predestination. So the prerequisite for predestination is that you're in Christ. That's contextually, scripturally, that, that's where it is. Um, the, the, um, before the foundation of the world, that was Jesus Christ. The election, the elect, who's the elect? Well, he told you in Isaiah 42. The, mine elect, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so the conclusion of the matter <laughs> is that foreknowledge speaks to what God knows. You know, it speaks to what God knows. Well, He knows the end from the beginning. He's outside of time, looking down at time, and He sees how this thing starts, and He sees how this, how this thing ends. And so He knows everything. That does not mean that He overrode your free will in order to get saved. 
He didn't force you to do anything. He didn't manipulate you or twist your arm and, and predestinate you before the foundations of the world. If that was the case, he'd have never made the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why would he have had to? So, he did not override your free will. Christ is predestinated before the foundation of the world. Christ is the elect. And guess what? Good news this morning. If you want to be uh, one of the elect, you have to elect the one that was elected. (laughs) And then you get elected. (laughs) How about that? (laughs) That's pretty cool, huh? You say, when did you become elect? When I said, I vote for Jesus. (laughs) And then I became elect. And then guess what? I became bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And now I am seated with Christ in heavenly places, as we talked about at the beginning of uh, the book of Ephesians. And what you find out is that the doctrine of salvation and where you sit as being in Christ means that uh, when he talks about it in Romans chapter 8, the content, I can do all things, uh, or excuse me, um, all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Why does he, how could he say that? How is that, without this being what, how I'm telling you here, without it being Jesus Christ is the one that's predestinated and then you get in him and now you're just along for the ride because you're attached to him now? How could he possibly say that all things work together for good? That'd be a bold-faced lie. Anybody in here, everything in your life going good right now? <laughs> right? How do you know? You tell the Fox's Book of Martyrs that everything works together for good. How in the world could you tell somebody that? Because the context of predestination, he says, you're pre, in, that same, in that same passage in Romans chapter 8, he says, because you're predestinated to be conformed into the image of his son. You see, I can tell you everything's going to be okay because eventually one of these days, guess what? There's nothing, there's height, neither height nor depth, nor any other creature can separate you from the love of God that is where? In Christ Jesus. And that is one of these days, no matter how bad it is on this earth, you're going to be conformed to the image of God's Son and everything's going to be just fine. You say, why is that? Because you're predestinated to be that way. Because you got in Christ. You made a decision. And uh, that is as far as uh, deep as I can take it here this morning, um, uh, as far as predestination is concerned. So <clears throat> with that said, let's go back uh, to our text in Ephesians chapter number 1. Ephesians chapter number 1. We're accepted in the Beloved. And in verse number 7, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Now, this verse fits perfectly with uh, verse number 6 uh, and why it's important that we don't mess with verse number 6 because it shows us that clearly we could not be predestinated or accepted without forgiveness and redemption. They're mandatory to be accepted. If I'm going to be accepted in the Beloved, I need to be forgiven and I need to be redeemed. Okay? And so uh, we won't run to uh, the different cross-references for that uh, at the moment. But um, it's important to understand that the Old Testament, the reason that forgiveness uh, and redemption are mentioned here is because in the Old Testament you could be forgiven without being redeemed. So that's special, that's unique to you. 
again, you live in a time, uh, in a dispensation, where no one in history or nobody uh, in the future, once we're out of here, will be saved like you and I are saved. By grace, through faith, plus nothing. Nobody in Old Testament has enjoyed the privileges that you and I have when it comes to our salvation. And once this age is over and the rapture takes place and we're all out of here in heaven, uh, there will never be anybody else in history or eternity future that enjoys the salvation that you and I enjoy. To be forgiven and redeemed at one time at no cost to you. It's like the one-time Black Friday deal that everybody went and looked for, you know, a couple, like a week or so ago, right? It's the best deal in history. You understand? And so, um, again, uh, Old Testament people could be forgiven without being redeemed. That is, uh, that is unique uh, to you. So verse uh, number 8, look in verse number 8 and 9, where, wherein <coughs> he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure. Uh, not only did God predestinate us in verse 5, it also pleased the Lord to show us why we were predestinated. You see? We've been predestinated because we are redeemed and forgiven. Uh, the mystery of God's will um, is explained in verse number 10. Now, this is now verse number 9 when he says he's made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Uh, that you see again with the words matching, look in verse uh, number 5, if you will. He says that you're, that you're predestinated unto us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And then what does he do in verse, uh, verse 9? He makes known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. So he wanted to, he wanted to predestinate us, but he also wanted you to know why you're predestinated. Right? It wasn't just I was blindly predestinated and eventually it bought me on the head and I realized I was one of the elect, so now I need to, you know, now the, re- the reason that I know I'm elect is because of how I'm living. Because I have fruits that are meat for repentance, and I'm acting like a Christian should act. Do you see how everything goes back to that? Every road leads back to that. Every religion. The argument today is, well, uh, well, there's just so many religions, right? There's just so many voices coming at you, and, and what do you believe, and why you believe what you believe, and there's so many voices. It all boils down to one thing. Everybody else is looking on the outside. How are you acting? That is the evidence of what has happened uh, internally with your soul, right? It's Catholics, Muslims, Calvinism, whatever, name, name it. I can look on you on the outside and how you're acting, and I can then dictate what you should do or how you should act based on how my, my opinion of how you should act or what you should do. It's built, that's why, it's, you think about the lost world and the complaints they have about organized religion, where they just control people. Well, do they ever think they have a little bit of a point? They have a point, don't they? Do you think, do you think that, do you think we're void of that, of, of that criticism in our circles? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, we're, we're some of the, the guiltiest ones. 
Because we profess to believe the Bible, but yet we still think that we need to tell people how to live and what to do and that we are the arbiters of what is uh, Christian um, character, Christian living, and, and what other people should do with their lives. Now, I have a Bible that tells me certain things. I'm not one of these guys where, you know, uh, well, we, you can just do whatever you want. And there's no big deal and there's no repercussion. No, there's repercussions for everything. And there's a standard that God has set in Scripture. There's no doubt about that. But for me to say, well, if you were really saved, you wouldn't do this, 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 and this. That's what it always comes down to. Every religion does that. Well, if you do this, what is it? It's, it's controlling you by your behavior. And Bible believers have tried that for many years. Parents try that. Um, and it always backfires without fail. Because you produce two things. You produce robots, right? They, they fit into the box in which you tell them to fit into. And then they live within the confines of whatever parameters you've set up for them. Like good little boys and good little girls. Or they say, fooey on your box. I'm out of here. See you later. Bye. Right? And so the byproduct of that is you have young people and old people alike that have never learned how to have an actual relationship with Jesus Christ, the one that saved them. Because you've always been underneath somebody that's telling you what to do, and they never let you figure it out. You know one of the biggest joys of, Christian, of Christianity is? Is God gives you the freedom to figure stuff out. That's your pace. God, look, we're going to talk about that this morning in the morning message. God gives you the ability... He gives you the, the blessing of wrestling with Him. You understand? He says, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. <laughs> Why would He reason with you? <laughs> Why would He even give you the opportunity? Because He's more concerned about what that will produce because you came to a conclusion with, based on you and Him. Now, when I interject myself in there and say, come now, let us reason together. I'll tell you what you should do. Now, I either become your God, and then when I do something because I'm human, you look down at me and I, and I destroy your God, or you say, fooey on your God. See you later, bye, and then you become your own God. Those are the only two ways to go down the road, folks. And... Uh, it's about control. It's about that. And so he says, Having made unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he had purposed in himself, he likes the fact to let you in on what he's doing. You ever, you, ever, uh, you know, and I'm bad about this too, you know, especially as a parent, because you feel like, I feel like I'm telling my kids what not to do all the time because they're, they're at the age where they're starting to think. And uh, I don't like that. And so <laughs> they're too, they're, they have ideas and the light bulb goes off and then they do something wrong. So that's, that's, where, that's the phase that we're at right now. And so, and so sometimes you have to, you're telling them over and over and over again. And, and, you know, I have to step back sometimes and I realize I've not clearly told them why I'm telling them to do this. And for the longest time, we've, we've always said, because I said so. And there's a point where that's true. Right? Do you think that's the way the Lord deals with you and I? No. It's not. 
How does the Lord deal with you and I? He likes to let us in on the secret, man. He lets us know, hey, there's some things, even if he's telling us, even sometimes you don't know what he'll say, he'll say, listen, there's some things going on in the background that you don't know right now, but I just want you to know I'm in control of this thing. At the very least, that's what he gives you. And you know, a lot of times in Scripture, you know what he'll do? He'll tell you why he's doing what he's doing. Okay? And so, and so he, he makes known to us the mystery of his will because it's his good pleasure to do so. Uh, he, and he goes on and, and describes in verse 10 that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Uh, so if you had any doubt of what the context of... Uh, this whole thing was, it's definitely in Christ. It was mentioned two or three times just in one verse. Okay? But in verse 10, speaking of a future event, okay, this dispensation of the fullness of times is not just a period of time. It's not a dispensation of old. This is a future event. And uh, I like what Dr. Ruckman says about uh, the cross-reference here. And I don't really have a whole lot of time. Maybe throw something at you here for just a second. But... Uh, he says, I have no idea. Is vice niche is what he says. I, I know not what this uh, exactly means um, because the cross-reference of this is a little bit mind-blowing. It's, uh, if you want to go there real quick, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And again, if you can figure it out, let me know. And uh, you know we'll have to make our hats a little bit bigger because our head will be bigger. But uh, verse 15, or excuse me, chapter 15, look in verse, we'll start in verse 24. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, uh, even the Father, uh, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Now, here's here's a peculiar breakdown here. Uh, you, have, you have the rapture, you have the second advent, and you have the millennium, all in those two verses. He says, he, when he delivereth up the kingdom of God, that's a spiritual kingdom that you and I are in, right? The, spirit of, uh, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, okay? That's a, he, he delivers up the kingdom of God, that's a rapture. And look at what he says here. He says, uh, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. Well, that's the second advent. Right? That's Revelation 19, White Horse, Valley of, Arm, uh, of Armageddon, you know, that kind of thing. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. That's the millennium. Okay, verse 26. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now we're getting even further out into this thing. That's Revelation 21. Right? I shall wipe away all tears from her eyes and there shall be no more death. That's verse 4, Revelation 21. Okay? For he hath put all things under his feet. When he, saith, uh, when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted. Now, when he, when, he, when he says accepted here, that means excluded. Okay? Not like accepted in the beloved, but this is rather excluded. And who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about Jesus Christ. For he hath put, that's God the Father, for he hath put all things under his feet. His feet is Jesus Christ. Okay, um, the cross-reference for that is Philippians chapter number 2. Okay, He's, he, Jesus Christ subjects himself to God the Father, and in so doing, God exalts him, right? God exalts him, um, 
at the, uh, during the millennium, and he's, he's exalted at the great white throne. But when all that is over, Jesus Christ then submits himself back to the Father. Now, again, I'm probably confusing myself as well as you right now. But um, he says that uh, Jesus Christ is put underneath him. It is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. Verse 28. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him. Now, this may seem confusing, but let me just give you the, uh, you know, the cliff notes. God, right, the Father... Jesus Christ born, he submits himself to God the Father. In so doing, if you abase yourself, you'll be exalted. That's the principle. Jesus Christ submits himself even to the death of the cross, right? God exalts him to the right hand of God on high. He's exalted above every name that every knee should bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He exalts Jesus Christ above the name Jehovah itself, Okay? At the great white throne judgment, who's sitting there? That's right, the Lord Jesus Christ exalted, okay, on high. When all that's said and done, new heavens, new earth, everything's all good to go. What does he say? And when all things shall be subdued unto him, this is God, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him. He then submits himself back to the Father. Now, this is in eternity, okay? And he says, that God may be all in all. What does that mean? <laughs> well, it's implied that if I'm in Christ, when Jesus Christ submits himself back to the Father, I'd, uh, do I get absorbed into the Trinity? I don't know. You see what I'm saying? You say, what is that? There's just something in the Bible you can't figure out. <laughs> There's some things, man, like... You, I don't care how smart you are. Read on what people th- say that is and just have yourself a laugh because you don't have any idea what that is. I don't have any idea what that is. And there ain't no way you can figure it out. <laughs> there's just sometimes there's things in the Bible you just say, Lord, I ain't smart enough. And there's some things in here, brethren, <laughs> that are just way above our pay grade. But you know what? I like that. You say, does that shake you? Not a bit. You want to know why? Because if I could figure everything out, then I'd be just as smart as God is. The fact of the matter is, is that this book is so far away from where I'm at. It's just a blessing to be able to open it and read it. And all these deep doctrinal things that we're talking about, just because it's in, it's in the verses. I'm not trying to, you know, be a smarty pants or anything like that up here. It's all in the text of which we're at in Ephesians, right? But the thing I take away from this from a practical standpoint is that, man, God's in control of this thing. Far greater than I could ever imagine. And if I, just, if I just do what I'm supposed to do, and I get in line with Him, and I, just, oh, and I get up every day and I read my Bible, and I pray, and I ask God for some light, and God help me with this, and Lord show me something here, you know what? If He's got all this thing worked out, all the way up through eternity where he's submitted back to the Father and is, you know, goes all in all. and all. If he's got all that worked out, what do you think he can do with your situations in your life? He can work them out, man. <laughs> way better than you and I can. He's an architect of architects. He's a strategist of strategists. And uh, sometimes you realize that when you read your Bible, you just have sometimes sit there and say, God, I stand in awe of you. 
I stand in awe of your book. I stand in awe of your plan. And I'm just glad that I'm saved. And I take away from all this deep doctrinal stuff. You know what I take away from? I'm in Christ. I'm good. (laughs) You say, what did you take away from this this morning? Just know you're fine. (laughs) Like if you're saved in here this morning, you're, you're set for like past eternity, man. You are so good. It couldn't get any better. Right? Praise the Lord for that. All right, I'll wrap up Sunday school. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thanks for all these came out in Sunday school. I pray you bless the uh, service to come in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.